Let's give thanks and then we will begin. Father, thank you for an opportunity for us to come and to sit under your word and its instruction, and especially this theme, the saving work of Christ. As we think today about practical applications, (laughs) I give you glory that for all eternity we will be experiencing the answer to what are the practical benefits of the saving work of Jesus. So for the next few minutes, I pray that you would rejoice our hearts in the wonder and the power and the love of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. All righty, this is part three of our core doctrine series, part three of this article. Let's see. Seven times three is 20. This is our 21st part uh, of our core doctrine series. And it is the third part of article seven, where as I prayed, we're talking about practical theology. And the theme is, as I prayed, the saving work of Christ. So we've had our two previous Sundays. uh, Two weeks ago today, we looked at the the biblical doctrine of Christ's saving work, what, what is true. Last week, Jim led us through some historical theology, some of the challenges and attacks that have come to this precious doctrine, and today we want to talk about the, some practical applications. Well, as is our custom, I'm going to read for us the affirmation. I think it is three parts. <clears throat> we believe that by his perfect obedience to God and by his suffering and death, as the immaculate Lamb of God, Jesus Christ obtained forgiveness of sins and the gift of perfect righteousness for all who trusted in God prior to the cross and all who would trust in Christ thereafter. Through living a perfect life and dying in our place, the just for the unjust, Christ absorbed our punishment appeased the wrath of God against us, vindicated the righteousness of God in our justification, and removed the condemnation of the law against us. What a mouthful. Point two, we believe that the atonement of Christ for sin warrants and impels a universal offering of the gospel to all persons, so that to every person it may be truly said, God gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever will may come for cleansing at this fountain, and whoever does come, Jesus will not cast out. And then finally, 7.3, we believe moreover that the death of Christ did obtain more than the bona fide offer of the gospel for all. It also obtained the omnipotent new covenant mercy of repentance and faith for God's elect. Christ died for all, but not for all in the same way. In his death, Christ expressed a special covenant love to his friends, his sheep, his bride. For them, he obtained the infallible and effectual working of the Spirit to triumph over their resistance and bring them to saving faith. Well, that's our 
affirmation, Article 7, the saving work of Christ. And today, I want to just prime the pump a little bit as I prayed. We'll be spending, good news, we'll spend eternity not trying to figure out, but fully enjoying the practical applications of the saving work of Christ. So we'll just take a few minutes today to prime the pump. I'm going to give four applications as I do. I trust that you'll think of a few hundred more. So I'll try to save some time for us to to share with each other biblical, practical applications that you guys think of. The the four I want to share with you, if everything in the affirmation is true, and I believe it's a good, faithful summary of what is true, we should receive Christ's love, we should rest in Christ's love, we should work from Christ's love, and we should commend Christ's love. These are four practical applications. We'll just take them one at a time. First, receiving Christ's love. This affirmation says in the the first part of point one, we believe that by his perfect obedience to God and his suffering and death as the immaculate limb of God, Jesus Christ obtained forgiveness of sins and the gift of perfect righteousness for all who trusted in God prior to the cross, and all who would trust in Christ thereafter. So this is unapologetically exclusivistic. Who gets the practical benefit of Christ's saving work? Believers, trusters, those who entrust their soul to another, those who relinquish control of their eternal fate to another, those who fling themselves upon an alien righteousness, an outside-of-themselves source that they cannot uh, produce on their own. So, receiving Christ's love. Ephesians 2 is one of the hallmark passages of justification, sola fide, justification by faith alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So many have said concerning trust, I'm saying receive Christ's love. That's practical application number one. If he has accomplished redemption, if he has done the saving work, then uh, the Bible commands us to receive that love, to believe upon that Redeemer. Um, Many have said concerning faith alone, receiving, that faith is not a work. You know, sometimes, and today's sermon will actually emphasize this in, in one place, the biblical command, the biblical call is not to put faith in faith. Oh, if you just had enough faith, then such and such. That's faith in faith. The prosperity gospel is kind of the hallmark example of putting faith in faith. If you have enough faith, then such and such, you won't be sick, you'll be healthy, wealthy, wise. Well, that's faith in faith. Faith must have the proper object. Once faith is rested upon Christ alone, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which is a gift of God, The very faith we put in him is not produced by us. It is given to us. Faith itself is a gift. And once that faith is rested upon Christ, 
Faith is not a work, but it's also not opposed to works. We're going to get there in our, I think, third consideration. So to put it this way, as a primer for that point, the gospel is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. You understand the difference? A gift versus a wage. You can't pay for a gift. And faith, we're told right here, is the gift of God. You cannot, by definition, earn a gift. That is called a wage. So receive Christ's love. Full, free pardon from the God of the universe. That's first practical application. The second is rest. Once you receive, you have gospel privileges. And one mighty practical application of the saving work of Christ is lay down your arms. Rest. Abide. Dwell. I get this from also the middle part of that first point. Through living a perfect life and dying in our place, the just for the unjust, Christ absorbed our punishment, appeased the wrath of God against us, vindicated the righteousness of God in our justification, and removed the condemnation of the law against us. It's it's hard to keep believing the gospel. I think Jesus would say it's impossible, uh, but not with God. All things are possible with God. But when Jesus said, um, all things are possible with God, he was answering the disciples' question about salvation. Jesus had just said, nobody can get saved by themselves. He had just said, rich people, you know, got to go through the eye of a needle. A camel could go through that if rich people can save themselves. You can pay God to, to like you more by your works or your whatever. Jesus says, nope. Uh, Jesus said it it would be easier for the illustration to happen than for somebody to basically earn their salvation. And so the disciples' question is, who can be saved? Jesus' answer is, with man, totally impossible. That's the context of the verse. But not with God, for all things are possible with God, even saving wretched sinners who cannot save themselves. Even saving wretched sinners in context who have tried to commend themselves to God. And so you have to rest. Saving faith is by definition not a work. It is a receiving of all that God is for us in Christ. So as we rest in Christ's love, I love this Jack Miller quote. It comes from... uh, Daily devotions from Jack Miller. This is page 302 on saving grace. If you get a hold of the love of God in Jesus Christ for you, and you daily walk in that love, then you are going to find that the Christian life is actually enjoyable. (laughs) It's not a trap or a prison, but a life filled with confidence and joy. Something to invite others to and something others will be attracted to. Now, I know that, I know my heart enough to know, and I'll presume upon your hearts, and I've spent enough time with enough of you to know that it's not total presumption. We are tempted to live every day 
as if God is moderately displeased with us. You know, there may be a few moments of a few days where we rise above God not being sorry that he saved us. That is so antithetical to the heart of your Redeemer. He has zero buyer's remorse. Zephaniah 3, he rejoices over you with shouts of joy. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. That joy is having you with him in the glory that he forever knew. That's why he endured the cross. He's happy to have saved you. And so you'll find, I love this middle line, you'll find that the Christian life is actually enjoyable. Um, And we all need grace and help from one another as believers to, to enjoy our life with Christ. But um, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find absolute doldrum and misery for your soul. <laughs> no way! <laughs> you will find rest because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He shoulders the load and he gives us joy in the journey, even in sorrow. So, rest. John 15, 9, we're soon to get there in our sermon series. We're just a couple of weeks away from this glorious passage. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Two little letters, A-S, as, same way, exact type. That love is what I'm giving you. So what should we do? Rest. Abide. Dwell lay down, receive, sleep, abide. That's rest in Christ's love. Number three, we should not just rest, we should restfully labor. We should abide and work, work from Christ's love. This is 7.3. In his death, Christ expressed a special covenant love to his friends, his sheep, his bride. For them, he obtained the infallible and effectual working of the Spirit to triumph over their resistance and bring them to saving faith. Well, this is referring especially to justification, but the same kind of triumph happens by the Holy Spirit in our walk with Jesus. That's literally today's sermon text, the ministry of the Holy Spirit for loving obedience to our Redeemer. Now, I'm going to warn you that I'm about to play for you a little video clip. It's from a now-glorified theologian named John Gerstner. Some of you guys have heard of his ministry and maybe benefited from his work. He's, he's, he's a very faithful friend from whom I, uh, I, would, I would commend that we benefit from his work. Here's the, my, the reason I'm prefacing it. If, you guys ever, if you've never seen Gerstner teach, uh, Sproul was his protege. So if you've ever seen Sproul teach, I have heard others describe Sproul as almost cartoonish. His mannerisms, his intonation, his kind of just big. Gerstner is sprawl on steroids, okay? I don't want you to miss his message because you are laughing at his mannerisms and intonation, okay? He is, if you took out the audio, you might think he's doing a comedy act. He's not. This is just the way the Lord made him. All right? Benefit from what he says, even if you snicker at how he says it. (laughs) There you go. I told you about his mannerisms and intonation, but did you get the message? 
absolutely necessary, absolutely non-meritorious. You with me? Do you understand that? So he said at the end, I come to Christ abounding in good works. That's the message of James. That's the kind of justification James is talking about. James 2.18, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by what I do. And James would say unequivocally, faith without works is dead. There must be corresponding works. You all know this deep in your heart if you belong to Christ. Those works are not self-produced. They're spirit-wrought, word-derived. That's John 14. That's literally our sermon text today. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. How? Very next verse, I'm going to give you a helper. I'll give you the paraclete. I'll give you an advocate before God and within you. So work from Christ's love. So we say it in shorthand around here a lot and probably the same way so much that it can become white noise and we don't get what we're saying. But I'm going to say it again. We work from our salvation, not for it. That's the basic definition, uh, di distinction between every other religion in the world and Christianity. Do you see that? Catholicism is works-based. Have a few minutes. Catholicism is works-based. Hinduism is works-based. Islam is works-based. All the deviant, Protestant offshoots, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, it's all works-based. There's one and only one religious construct where the deity dies for the damnable. All grace. That's Christianity. But we work from that redemption. James 2, I just quoted, someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. So fourth and finally, and not least, we must commend Christ's love. The apostles, let me save that. 7.2, um, sorry, I meant, yeah, yeah, that's right. 7.2, we believe that the atonement of Christ for sin warrants and impels a universal offering of the gospel to all persons so that to every person it may be truly said, God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Whoever whosoever will may come for cleansing at this fountain and whoever comes Jesus will not cast out Romans 10 is the bedrock <clears throat> reality that without hearing the gospel no one can be saved for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call upon him and whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed. How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. What did the apostles, Peter and John particularly, say to the 
religious leaders who wanted them to stop preaching the gospel in Acts 4. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Commending Christ's love is a necessary byproduct of receiving and resting in his love. That is a lion's share of the work. It's gospeling ourselves and gospeling all around us. That's the principal work. There's a bunch of other great works spoken of in the Bible, but it's been said well by the Lausanne Congress and plenty of others who've repeated it. Christians care about all suffering. That's the work. We're trying to rid the world of the curse because Jesus has already reversed it. The kingdom of God has already broken into this present evil age. We live in the overlap of the ages. The end has already been inaugurated. It will be consummated. Christ is making all things new. So here's the statement. Christians care about all suffering. All suffering. We want to serve and work and alleviate all suffering. Especially eternal suffering. We don't want to put springs on people's wagon so that they have a smooth ride to hell commending Christ's love. So the apostle says, we just cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. It's an irresistible byproduct of seeing and believing the risen Christ. And um, I'll stop there. Okay, uh, we have 10 minutes. If you all would like to interact and add some practical applications to the core doctrine of Christ's saving work. Any comments or questions or just further insights you guys would like to add? Yeah, come here, Chippo. Come meet me halfway. I don't know if it's a question or a statement, but I knew uh, coming in here, and I think you hit on it from reading the passage this week, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And like, the th- the wrestle with, is it a condition, like, based on me? Like, oh, if I keep him, he's going to love me good. But also, listening today, like, it, it's uh, realizing Christ has loved me and then given me his spirit, given me his word, given me his church to help me along with that. But still, I go back, I've wrestled with it this week. So, anyway, I don't know if that's a statement, comment, or Somebody could expound more on it, but the felt the my love to him is so fragile and frail, and if it's dependent on me that him loving me, that, oh, I'm in trouble. But anyway, yeah, no, brother, John fourteen fifteen gets us all. Let me say one thing about it because I cut three or four pages out of my sermon manuscript this morning. That was one of them. Uh, that's the first time in John's gospel Jesus speaks about his followers' love for him. That's important to understand. For 14 chapters, he talked about his love for them. It's in that light. You know what I'm saying? It's not, if you love me, you'll obey. That's true. After you get avalanched (laughs) by his love for you. So, good. Yeah, somebody else with a comment, question, insight, further application. Is this a psychological uh, personality moment where somebody has something they want to say and you're inhibited by the size of the crowd? 
Or is it, we're just going to use a few minutes we have to rejoice in prayer and give God thanks? Is it A, we want to hear from you, or is it B? Uh, must be B. <laughs> okay, Derek. Amen, and voice it as well. Uh, in regards to, this is a question they would like to ask. Um, I think that for some, it's helpful to be reminded that if, you're, if your works aren't there, then you have reason to ask questions about your faith. It's a good, it's a good thing, right? Of course it is. It's inspired. God gave it to us for edification. I think what that does for a lot of people, um, especially for us who have grown up in kind of the wake of everyone says they're a Christian, but that doesn't mean that they are. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of us were converted out of Christianity, it feels like. Um, what, what tends to happen instead is that we, be, we, we really examine, 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 and we just see nothing but filth. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the great fear is not believing that I can be saved without works. I think the great fear for the larger swath of the congregation, and I know something that I've struggled with, is I don't want to be deceived. And so then what happens is I become terrified to look away from my works because it feels like presumption. It feels like I'm not willing to be honest with the text. Yeah. It feels like I'm not willing to call a spade a spade and say, this is disgusting when I look at my own art or I look at things that I still struggle with. Yeah. So maybe one quick way of saying it, there's an apprehension to look entirely away from self and look at Jesus because I don't want to be deceived. Yeah. What would you say to that saint in applying this doctrine? Brother, brother, brother. I have said, I hope you all take this as encouragement, not discouragement, because it's totally meant to be encouraging. I've said to a lot of pastor friends outside of grace, the Lord has blessed our congregation with a disproportionate amount of saints who battle for assurance. I find in my pastoral care, most often people struggling for assurance. And I say the Lord has blessed us with that. My short answer would be twofold. Welcome to the club. <laughs> That's my, we really do need to stop in a minute, alarm. Welcome to the club of that struggle for, I do need to observe works. The Bible does say that. It would be total abdication of reading the Bible honestly to not look at work. But number two, and I think most important, you're not your own fruit inspector. The local church is, I think this, an assurance of salvation cohort. That's what we are. We are saying to each other, you really believe he got up from the dead? Me too. We're assuring each other in our faith we really believe these things, and we cannot see in ourselves what others see in us. I think it's, that's the divine lens. And so I'll just say to Derek McClarty, I'm going to do 
Derek and I go on walks together, <laughs> early morning walk. So I'm going to do what we've done plenty of times. I see fruit in your life. You're nowhere near who you were when the Lord brought you before you married. Where's that sweet girl God gave you? There she is. You're nowhere near. That's called the slow growing, the painful, laborious, snail's pace. You can't see it. It's like watching paint dry and the grass grow. You cannot see your sanctification day by day. We can see it over a decade. And brother, I would say, keep looking at Jesus. So I'm going to add a third. Welcome to the club. Let the church be your assurance cohort. And number three, it's not do holy as I'm holy, it's be holy. And if we do look to Christ, we will be changed. And if we are holy, if we focus on being, he'll give us plenty to do. And that's the, I think that's the aftermath of the be. It's the do, indicatives, imperatives. But brother, I just, I love the question because I love this congregation. And I think many of us, even if we don't articulate it, have that question. So thank you for raising it. Yes, ma'am. So I have been dealing, um, even just this week, having a conversation with my mom, kind of a little bit opposite of what you guys are discussing, where um, we doubt we lack assurance for our faith. My mom and other individuals in my family are kind of more like what Derek described. Well, you know, I know that I myself and this other person have prayed the prayer and walked yeah. the aisle, and yeah. therefore we can live whatever life yeah. we desire with no consequence and know that yeah. we're saved. Um, and I've really struggled to try to get this point across and it was really helpful, just um, being reminded of James's words. And then it, it's hard to, I don't, like you said, I don't want to put springs in their wagon. Yeah. So I'm really trying hard yeah. to avoid that, but also not be super harsh and condemning, but also say like, Mom, I'm not seeing any fruit in that person's life. I see no evidence. I've never yeah. heard this person speak of the Lord. I've never heard this person. I mean, just nothing. There's yep. nothing, no evidence outwardly there. But then also reminding myself at the same time, like, I'm not the Lord. I don't know how far his grace extends. He knows the hearts and minds yeah. of men and he will judge them righteously. And, and so it, it's like, I feel like I'm walking this fine line all the time and I don't know how far to go. Um, yeah. And the right words to say to like, and I'm not the spirit, like, I can't reason, I can reason all day long until I'm blue in the face. Yeah. But she is wholly convinced that like, nobody needs to do anything ever. Yeah. So. Now again, I'm going to just say welcome to the club. I, we, I think you're describing someone in the situation Derek said many of us were reared in right? It's the false sense of security because of some previous religious ceremony. And the, I would, this is what I have tried to say. You said it well. We can't argue people into the kingdom. 
what I've tried to say to people is the Bible's evidence of regeneration, the new birth, being justified, is not have you believed? Did you pray a prayer when you were 10? It's are you believing? I love Tracy today. What nanosecond did I fall in love with her? I can't tell you first sight. <laughs> Maybe I can't tell you exactly. But I know that I began loving her because I do now. And Jesus says, as Stephen pointed out in today's sermon text, part and parcel to true love to the unseen Christ is obedience to his commands. And so I think that's a good concern. But just saying, I hear what you're saying about you did, I'm, praise God, I'm asking if you do. And if you do, then, you know, it'll be a word-saturated, spirit-filled, church-shaped love. Oh, I'm with you. All these sweet littles coming in are giving us a cue. We, we have to, I think we have to wrap it up. And I apologize because the teacher is the one with the question. And uh, I'm so sorry. Okay. Lord, thank you for these precious saints. Help us to receive the benefits of the saving work of Jesus and for our life to abound, like Gershner said, in those good works that Christ has already paid for and the Spirit empowers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.